Mother's Day, a fantastic opportunity to honor our awesome moms. In this message, learn about Hannah in a miracle of motherhood every Christian can learn from. Would you take your Bibles this morning as you're seated and turn to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel in your Bibles today. 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1 on this Mother's Day. Uh, I love Mother's Day, a day set aside just to honor our moms, a uh, day that is filled, if you will, with great joy for so many. It's just wonderful on every single level. But the truth be told, it's not an easy day for some people. It's not easy for everyone. There's some folks in here, had a lady say this to me at the end of the service today. Uh, she said, I, I miss my mom really, really bad. I miss my mom. And I, I wish that my mom was here. It's a hard day for her. It's a hard day for other people here. There are some here today who can't have children. And, and to you, my heart goes out to you. My heart goes out to you if you can't have kids. I know that today could be easier if maybe there was a bunch of little kids running around your house getting you dirty and getting everything else dirty. It's, it should be a day of joy, but there's, there's some sadness that's involved there. The ladies in our church would give anything to have children, but they don't have children. It's a tough day. It's, it's a tough day for some other folks because, well, you had children and they died. Mother's Day can be an awesome day, and it should be, but for those of you to whom today is a difficult day, I just want you to know that as your pastor, I get it. It's a day of celebration for so many people in the room, but for some of you, it's not a day of celebration. It's, it's a day of really, if you will, of sadness. And so our, our heart breaks for you, our heart goes out to you, we, we understand to some degree, and we want to be empathetic for you. You're not alone. The lady in our story is not dissimilar from you. Let me tell you the story about this lady named Hannah. Hannah in the Bible in 1 Samuel chapter 1 is, a, is really a, an exemplary lady. Matter of fact, you've been around Christian churches very long. You probably met somebody named Hannah. People that have named their children after her because she is such an exemplary lady. Well, the story of Hannah's life is not a story of ease. The story of Hannah's life is a difficult story. It's a challenging story. You see, Hannah was alive in a time period in our world, oh, good grief, 4,000 years ago, where it was basically a requirement that if you were a good woman, that you would have kids. It was a sign of God's blessing on a person's life, that you would have children, and not just have children, but you would have what the Bible calls a man-child, or you would have a son. You would have a son because they wanted to carry the family name on and carry the family tradition moving forward, and property had been given and land had been given after the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness in the book of Exodus, and, and through that area. They had been given by Joshua to the people, 
and, and of the land, and it was, it was awesome, uh, this land that had been given. But if you didn't have a son to carry on the name, it was only a matter of time before your family lost that land. So everybody wanted to have a son, and it was a sign of God's blessing if you had one. Well, if you didn't have a son, that was a bummer. That was a bad thing. But the land could still be passed down to your daughters. But if you had, but it would be a little bit different and a little bit difficult and a little bit challenging. And so sons were coveted. Everybody wanted a boy. For those of us that only have girls, I have two daughters. After two, after having two daughters, we gave up. You say, why didn't you try for another one? I'm batting over two. Not that daughters aren't amazing. If you're in the crowd today, laughter is appreciated. My daughter is standing in the back right now, going to tell her sister, and they're going to poison my lunch. <laughs> it was nice knowing you as your pastor. I will not be here next week. I will be dead. <sighs> but Hannah was this woman. She not only didn't have a son, she didn't have children. And her husband is a guy named Elkanah. And Elkanah was a good dude, but he made a major, major mistake. What was his major mistake? He married two women. He had two wives. Let me just tell you, two wives equals two mother-in-laws, and that's two too many. Now, if your mother-in-law is here today, she's a wonderful, wonderful woman. Treat her with kindness. When she leaves, we'll talk truth. <laughs> I have a mother-in-law, and I love her to death, and I'm so glad she doesn't live near me. Um, but he, he had two wives, and one of the wives was a lady named Penina. You can read about her in like verses 1, 2, 3, and we'll go through this in just a second in the Scripture. But this woman named Penina, Elkanah's other wife, had children. She had a lot of children. She had sons, and she had daughters. And, and like any situation like that, there was tension in the house. There was Penina, who had children. There was Hannah, who had no children. So Penina, who had the blessing of children was making fun of, ridiculing, and mocking Hannah, who had no children. Matter of fact, she uses, Hannah uses words like, it made her bitter. That means sorrowful. It, it made her, we have a word, it made her to fret. That word, bring up the word fret. Uh, it, it made, or bitter. Uh, the word bitterness is a cry of mourning or a cry of sadness. It, it, it brought her tremendous struggle. It, it, it uh, forced her in her soul this, this sense of fret or worry or doubt or dread. I mean, this woman was really, really struggling. Really struggling. It was painful. The Bible doesn't let us how, know how often this happened, but in my mind, it was a very regular thing that whenever there was tension, Penina would say to Hannah, at least I have kids. At least I'm leaving a heritage. At least, at least I give Elkanah children. It was her trump card. I don't even remember the trump card. Like, like for my brother, who was five years older than me, when we were little kids, he had trump cards whenever he wanted to make fun of me and whenever I would do better than him in an area like school, grades, loving parents, keeping my room clean, driving cars, obeying the law. <laughs> my brother would always say this, at least I'm bigger than you, and if you don't shut up, I'll beat you up. That's still my brother's trump card. That's why I live as far away from him as I can, too. No, I'm kidding. I have a wonderful, wonderful brother who, who loves Jesus and his, keeps his cell clean. <laughs> but he had a trump card, and that was Penina's trump card. 
And so Hannah is this lady. She has no children. She has a husband. And the Bible says that, that they left their town that they lived, and they traveled down to a place called Shiloh. Shiloh is a place where there would be worship. And every year they would go down to Shiloh and, and they would worship the Lord. They would bring offerings to the Lord. It was an act of worship. They'd bring sacrifice to the Lord. It was a wonderful, wonderful place down in Shiloh. And so Hannah and Penina and all of Penina's kids and Elkanah, the husband and the two wives and all of one of the wives' kids would travel down to Shiloh and they would offer sacrifice to the Lord. And, and Elkanah really loved Hannah. He really loved her more than he loved Penina, according to the scripture. And he would give Penina an offering to give to the Lord, and he would give his children with Penina an offering to give to the Lord. But he gave Hannah, the Bible uses this word, a worthy portion. That word just means a double portion. He would give his wife, Hannah, a double portion to worship the Lord with. And she would offer this offering to the Lord. But when they're at the temple, it was a time of celebration. It was a time of joy. It was a time of fun. I mean, they had a great, great time worshiping the Lord together. Everybody's celebrating. Everybody's singing. They're eating food. It's a wonderful, wonderful experience for everyone in the room except for Hannah. Hannah hated it. Matter of fact, that's where the Bible uses that word bitterness. She was bitter. Now, when we use bitterness, again, we use the word bitterness in the sense of, in our time, like this really negative thing, like, oh, don't, don't be bitter. You're bitter. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews uh, about bitterness, beware lest bitterness springing up inside of you and, and, and the root of bitterness springing up inside of you, Hebrews chapter 12, I think it's verse number 15, and thereby many be defiled. Bitter people are people who really, really become angry and everybody around them becomes angry. They're, it's like a cancer. See a lot of heads nodding because you've been around bitter people. Nothing good can ever be done. Everything's always wrong. Nothing's ever right. I'll tell you, the worst people to be around are bitter parents. Oh, dude, I'm so thankful for the family that I had. If my mom was bitter, she hit it well. And I don't really know, if, I don't think she was ever bitter. She didn't have an easy life. My mother grew up, my mother grew up in an abusive situation. My grandmother was emotionally and physically abusive. I mean, my mom grew up in a, in a very, very difficult situation in difficult circumstances. And by the grace of God, my mother was gloriously saved and raised her family for Jesus Christ. But bitterness that is spoken of in this passage is not talking about a negative, but rather a, a, it's like an adjective. It's declaring what was going on in her soul. She was sad, sorry. She was in pain. So when this celebration is going on at the temple, I mean, it's a big, beautiful celebration. And when this celebration is going on at the temple, everybody's there. Penina is singing. Her children are singing. Her husband, Elkanah, is singing. They've offered sacrifice to the Lord. Everybody's having a great day. And here's what happened. Hannah leaves, and she goes to the temple, and she goes and she prays in the temple. And she prays, if you notice, in verse number 11. She prays a prayer to the Lord, and I'm going to give you essentially what, it's, what it says. You can read it. I'll kind of quote it. She says this, Lord, if you will give me a man-child, I will give him back to you all the days of his life. And then it says in verse number 12, <laughs> I love this, and no razor will touch his head. 
That means he's going to take a very specific, what's called a Nazarite vow, and everybody will know that this young man or middle-aged man or then old man, Samuel, uh, this boy, whoever he's going to be, if you'll give him to me, that he is special, he is reserved for only you. I love that she makes this phrase. I just think this is really cool. She says in verse number 11, if you give me a man-child. Now, let me explain something to you. Men don't come out of wombs. How many of you ladies could say amen right there? Could you imagine me? 275 pounds of not awesomeness coming out of a womb. My mom really doesn't like me at times. She would have hated that. Babies are born, not men. But that word there is not accidental. She's not really saying, give me a baby boy. We have other language for that in the Old Testament. She could have made that phrase. You say, Pastor, what do you think it means? I'm just telling you what I think it means. I think it means this. God, if you'll give me a baby boy, I will treat him and raise him to be a man. No, we're, we're about to go somewhere by way of application. And moms, I might not win pastor of the year today, but in 30 years, I hope I do. Let, let me explain something to you very quickly. That wonderful baby boy that came out of your womb, everybody else has the joy of viewing him as a baby. You have the responsibility of viewing him as a man. You, you didn't have a child. Yes, you had a child physically, but in your mind, I'm preparing him for adulthood. I'm preparing him to be able to live on his own. I'm preparing him to be able to do his own thing. I'm preparing him to cross mountains. I'm preparing him to be, to be a man who can take challenges and face risk and walk through risk and do amazing things. I want a man child. And we live in a world that is emasculated and young men, Listen, you might not like this. I care, but I don't care. I care enough to speak the truth to you. And that is, we've got like 25, 30-year-old dudes enjoying living in their mom and dad's basement. Oh, amen. Yeah, that's really good. I needed to hear that. Well, but pastor, if he moves out, he'll have no money. Good. No, no, we're okay with that. No, did you hear me? We're okay with that. Well, I don't want him to join the military because then he won't be around me. And Pastor, just make me cry on the inside. Well, then raise a wuss. I'm okay with you. Just admit what you're doing. Hey, I'm trying to ruin this kid's life when he's 40 years old so he knows nothing in life of what to do. God has not called you to raise a pansy. He's called you to raise dudes. I need some more help this morning. I don't mind standing alone. Arlene raised me to stand up on my own. There's like five or six people. We'll fight back to back, but we're going all in. God has called you to raise men. Well, I don't want my little son to get dirty. Look at the clothes I bought him. Well, you're the more on the bottom of the clothes. Well, I want him to look cute. No boys should look cute. They should be dirty and ugly and, and all of that. Well, I want him to be good in picture. Take the picture, throw a bucket of dirt on him. It's over after that. I'll tell you what, Joe Chadwick raised some men. And in our family, I'm just going to be super candid with you. In our family, it wasn't like, well, sweetheart, do you want to go outside and mow the lawn? I swear before I could crawl, I was mowing the lawn. My dad just had me out there grazing on the lawn. <laughs> dad, I can't push the lawnmower. Then eat it, boy, eat it. I'm not, I cannot, for, 
I'm not forgetting this. When I was a little kid in the state of Washington, if you live on the western side of Washington, if you've ever been there, you know it rains all the time. And one of the things about rain all the time is the grass always grows. My dad did not believe in gas-powered weed eaters. Gerald and Arlene were looking for ways to keep me and my brother occupied. Why? Because he knew that if my butt is, in his, it is on his couch, number one, I'm going to be watching TV, which cost him electricity. You say, your dad worried about that? Poor people worry about stuff like that. And so my dad came up with this idea. He went to the local like garden store, Home Depot. It wasn't Home Depot back in the day. It was True Value. I can still remember where it is. And he bought these little like lawn shears. Not the big ones, but the little ones that you squeeze together. People are like, how'd your forearms get this big? Yeah, Gerald. <laughs> and I had to go out and I had to edge the yard. And we had one of those yards. How many of you remember life back in the 70s? Like you actually got some yard here. Not like a San Diego yard with rocks that's like four feet. No, it was like a half to three quarters of an acre. And my dad said, while I'm gone today, I want you to edge this. With what? With this, I said, the neighbors have a, a weed eater, and I've always been a salesman my entire life. Can I just borrow the neighbor, neighbor's weed eater? He said, if you do, I'll break your arm. You say, we would have called CPS. He wouldn't have cared. <laughs> I didn't know there was such a thing as CPS. I thought that was Chadwick Protective Services growing up. And so I, here I am, like seven years old, out there edging the side of the yard. And he came home, and I'll just be honest with you, it wasn't a very good job. So he made me do it again. And he didn't always congratulate my bad performance. No, mom and dad made sure that they raised some men who could stand up. And what this world needs, moms, is boys not to be treated like they're some little prima donna, but to be treated like men who are outside, getting dirty, getting hard, having a hard life, that they they get bloody, they do difficult and challenging things so that we can see some young men who are able to stand up against the wussy world that we live in. Well, I don't know why there's all these snowflakes around here. I haven't even got to the message and I'm almost out of time. <sighs> and I'm preaching to men and it's Mother's Day. Come back on Father's Day, I'll preach to the ladies. I don't know why a bunch of snowflakes. I'll tell you why. Because you raised a bunch of snowflakes. Well, I'm just worried about their feelings, Pastor. Don't you worry about their feelings? Well, I kind of do. I don't want to be dismissive of their feelings. But their feelings don't dictate their actions. Oh, his heart's broken. Good. I understand what a broken heart's like. Your heart can get broken and you can still move on and do great things. Your emotions should not dictate your actions. So Hannah said this in verse number 11, God, give me a man child. Ladies, men, listen to me. That's not simply talking about reproduction. That's talking about an end state of what I'm raising. And you, you don't have to, listen, I'm not a hunter. You don't have to shoot animals with bows and wear like deer skins to be a man. You, know, you can not afraid of that. You don't have to live outside. I love to go camping every once in a while. I'll stay at a Holiday Inn Express. <laughs> I stayed at one last week. I said, man, Dad, we're really roughing it here. <sighs> Didn't have my California king bed. It was just a normal king-size bed. <sighs> and ever since COVID, they don't come in and clean the room after you. You have to clean up your own room now. Oh, man, it's really difficult. 
Listen, can I implore you to raise? This is one of the reasons we at Canyon Ridge, let me stop us inside. This is one of the reasons that we made a, a very awesome decision to, to, to start Trail Life and American Heritage Girls. And Trail Life is this thing for boys that learn, teaches them to be men. And we like them to get dirty and we like them to hurt themselves. And I like it when boys come, hey, pastor, see, see, I, I, I hurt myself. See the scab that I have? You know, listen, your boys come and tell me that. I'm going to tell you right now what I'm doing. Hey, pick that thing off. Let's see how the blood flows. <laughs> You're like, that's not healthy, <laughs> but it's fun. <laughs> They'll never forget that. I'm like, yeah, that's it. now suck the blood out. Just keep sucking it. Pastor, that's gross. Not if you're nine. <laughs> I better get moving. By the way, at Canyon Ridge, if you're laughing, the preaching clock stops, so um, I've got extra time. So Hannah prays this prayer to the Lord. Matter of fact, she's so passionate about this prayer when she's in the temple that the priest, Eli, sees her, and Eli says to her, he, he, he tells her in verses like 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 is where this interaction takes place. He looks at her and he says, why are you drunk in the temple? Because she was so grieving that she seemed like she was drunk. And she's praying, her mouth is moving, but no words are coming out, which was very uncommon in that culture. In our culture, it's a very normal thing. But in that culture, if you've ever been to Israel and you've been to like the Wailing Wall, uh, there you'll, you'll hear people. I've had the privilege of being there. Look forward to going again this year or two. And, and I've had the privilege of being there. And you'll, I mean, people are praying very, very loudly at that wall. And it's awesome to hear. That would be more in line with what that culture was like. And so when Hannah is praying and she's so grieved that words can't come out of her mouth, but she's just mouthing the prayer. And she says to Eli, the priest who called her the drunk woman, she says, no, no, sir. Verse number 17, I am not a daughter of Belial. I, I, I mean, think about how they viewed alcohol in the temple. No, no, sir. I am not a daughter of one of the false gods that God has defeated. I just, out of bitterness or sorrow of heart, I'm asking God to answer this prayer. And Eli says to her, I think it's in verse number 17 or 18, Eli says to her, now he's speaking in what's called a high priestly prayer. He was the high priest. So he's speaking, you may have heard this phrase before, like ex cathedra. He's speaking as the mouthpiece of God. You see, in that day, the Word of God was not written. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have the authority of the Word of God. So priest prophets would speak as in the place of God, not, not for God. They were simply the mouthpiece for God. They were saying what God wanted them to say. So Eli says to Hannah, Thy, and there's no information if the prayer is conveyed to Eli what's going on. He simply says to her, thy prayer be granted and peace be unto thee. Hannah hears that. The man of God has spoke the word of God to me and said, peace be unto thee. And verse 18, verse number 19, the Bible says that she gets up from there. She goes back to, as we read it, the celebration. And she begins to eat something she wasn't doing before. And she begins to rejoice. Or let's put it this way. I think the direct quote is this. And there was no, and she was no more sad. When she heard the word of God, the word of God brought tremendous comfort to her, and she was no longer sad in her heart. Well, her and her husband Elkanah and Penina, they go back home where they're from, and as normal things would occur, Elkanah and Hannah 
they have sex. The Bible says he knew her. And by the way, that's something every married couple should practice very, very regularly. As you say, how often? Like every day. If, if you can. You say, well, I don't know. Well, we could talk about that in February. But they go home and they have sex. I'm not trying to be graphic. That's just what it means. And God looked on Hannah, and she was pregnant, and she had, the Bible doesn't even go in detail with this, but she has a child, a child that they named Samuel, because God heard her prayer. And then she raises Samuel until he is weaned. And in that culture, a baby would be weaned somewhere between four and six years old. Somewhere in that was kind of the general rule. Could go a little longer, probably not any shorter than that. Just probably we don't, the Bible doesn't say exactly, so we're taking a little bit of, of like historical information to say that, not making declarative statement on that. But probably somewhere between four and six years old, she, she, she raises this boy, she nurses this boy, and then after he is weaned, the next time that it's appropriate, the next Passover where they're going back to Shiloh, she does something amazing. She takes her son back to Shiloh, and as an act of worship, I think it's like 21, 22, 23, she takes with her and her husband, Elkanah, they take three bullocks or three bulls, and they go back, and they go to worship the Lord. So, so notice this. She's giving her son to the Lord and as, an, as an act of worship, and in an additional act of worship, she's, giving, she's offering sacrifice to the Lord because he is good. And let me stop make a little bit of application here. She understood something, that the greatest job or the greatest calling in a person's life is to faithfully serve the Lord in a vocational capacity. She did not take serving the Lord in a vocational capacity as something that is negative, as a, something that is unwanted. No, no. She viewed it as it should be viewed as the most amazing act of worship in all the world. So when she gives her son to the Lord, she doesn't give her son to the Lord and act like it's a negative thing. She gives her son to the Lord as though it's the greatest joy she could. And in addition to her son, she is also giving some bullocks as an act of worship. One for her husband, one for her, one for her son. Let me say it this way. She was not sad that her children were worshiping the Lord. She wasn't disappointed that God had a special ministerial purpose on her son's life. She didn't view the fact that her son wouldn't be a, a lawyer as a negative thing. She didn't view the fact that her son wasn't going to be the wealthiest person in Israel as a negative thing. Now listen to me. You say, well, he became the priest and he was a prophet and he was, you know, he was a man of great prestige and power. She didn't know that when he was six. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just saying, legitimately, she didn't know that. At six years old, she had no idea what he was going to be. All she knew is that God had called him to go and serve in the temple and that God had given him to her and she's giving him back to the Lord. And he may have been a temple janitor for the rest of his life. He, he may have been a school teacher for the rest of his life. He may have done some other thing for the rest of his life. She had no idea 
all that God was going to do with her son. But she knew that she made a promise to the Lord many years prior, four, five, six, seven years prior, and she's taking him back to the Lord, and she is taking that child, and she is giving that child back to the Lord. I, I think it's verse number 28 uses the word Lent. Bring that word up, verse number 28. The, the word Lent means to be dedicated. When we use the word Lent, it's like you can borrow something. Hey, can I borrow that? Yeah, I'll lend that to you. The word Lent here means to be dedicated or granted or given back or handed back. In other words, she viewed it this way. God had given me my son, and now I'm not going to keep my son. Oh, the biblical principle and joy this is. I'm not going to keep my, my child for myself. I'm literally going to hand him back to the Lord and say, Lord, you do with him whatever it is that you desire. I'm giving him back to you. It doesn't even say in Scripture that she cried. She cried when she didn't have a son, but she wasn't, she wasn't sad to give her son back. Hey, moms, can, can I give you a little bit of insight here? You probably will find it good in your life to just let God have your kids. Just let them have your kids. Well, I, I don't know if they'll do what I want them to do. Oh, they're not going to do what you want them to do, whether you give them to Jesus or not. <laughs> Matter of fact, when you, when you had kids, you, you realized for the first time in your life how much you can love and hate something at the same time. <laughs> oh, pastor, all I ever do is love my children. Don't lie in church. That is not a joke. When you have to wake up at 2 a.m. because that kid's having a dream that, you know, Pokemon is eating Pac-Man. <sighs> Pac-Man's still a thing? I don't even know. It's, but, well, I just dated myself. That joke fell flat. <clears throat> well, I, 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 if I give them to the Lord, I'm afraid of what he might call them to do. Wait, wait a minute. You're telling me that God who so loved the world that gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but ever have everlasting life, and that God who gives all things good and everything that he gives is good, you're telling me that you're worried about what that God would call your child to do? You think you have a better plan? You think Satan has a better plan? You think your kid has a better plan? I mean, come on. Have you seen that kid eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? You ever see a four-year-old eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Every once in a while, moms will bring sandwiches for their kids. And they, they teach them to be kind, so they'll offer me a sandwich that they have licked, and it's fallen on the ground, and half of it's across their face. Like, hey, pastor, you want a bike? No, son, I'd rather die. <laughs> but thank you for offering. Hannah gave her son back to the Lord. No, did you hear me? She gave her son back to the Lord. She didn't give him with, listen to me, I'm about to share with you five principles, but she didn't give him back to the Lord with any strings attached. There wasn't any strings attached. God, you could have him. She's raising a man child. She's raising him for the Lord. She, he's not sitting at home. He's learning to overcome his fear. And when she gives him back, she gives him to the Lord. I want to share five encouraging truths with you real quick. Number one, Hannah, like everyone, faced great heartache. If you're not careful, you begin to think that you're the only one who faces heartache. 
Intellectually, you know that that's not the case, right? We all understand. But in our heart, at times, we're thinking like, no one's been through this. By the way, I face that too. I have to be reminded that every person in this room faces heartache. There's death in families. There's children who walk away from God. There's loss of jobs. There's joys that we don't get to celebrate that we thought we would get to celebrate. I mean, this is a world. I mean, it's what we've mentioned it a couple of times in the last few months or in the last few weeks. And that is what Job said, that our days are short and full of trouble. We live in a sin-cursed world. And Hannah, like everyone in this room, faced heartache. She couldn't have a son. She was ridiculed every day, whatever the time period was. She was ridiculed regularly because she couldn't have a son. And notice this as you read through that passage. God had, this is what the scripture says multiple times, God had shut up her womb. She couldn't take fish oil and cure this. Now, I know if she went to church, there'd be some good-minded Christian go up to her and say, have you tried the Chinese gestational period thing? Oh, have you tried this herbal essence? If you'll just rub your forehead every night with kumquat oil, I bet you'll have a baby. You say, why do you say that? Because sometimes well-meaning people say really dumb things. If you haven't had kids and you tell people that, you, some of you know what I'm talking about. Like, like people have come up to me and say, if you eat cashews while standing on your left leg and watching Gilligan's Island while patting your head, I promise you, you'll probably have a child or you'll look like an idiot for the rest of your life. No, Hannah, like everyone, faced heartache. She faced difficulty. And it was a heartache, listen to me, that was brought on by the Lord. Everything that's in your life, God either caused it or God has allowed it. Everything that's in your life, we believe in the sovereignty of God. God either caused it or God allowed it. There's a lot of things that God allows that he doesn't cause, but there are some things that God causes. And this was a God-caused event. Hannah, like everyone, faced great heartache. Number two, Hannah took her heartache to the Lord. Verse number 10. Everyone's partying. Everyone's not in a sensual fleshly, drunken way, but there's a big party going on. There's a celebration going on. Everyone is celebrating. Everybody's having a good time. Hannah can't eat. Hannah is emotionally distraught. She can't hardly get any words out of her mouth. So what does she do? She gets up and she goes to the temple, a quiet place, and she prays. She took her heartache to the Lord. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 55, verse number 22, Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he'll sustain thee. He'll never suffer the righteous to be moved. In a room this size with this many people, over 300 people here today at two different services, I know this. Leave that verse up. I know this without a doubt, that there are any number of people who have great burdens, and this is what God has called us to, man or woman, teenager or adult, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain thee. Hannah took her burden to the Lord. There's burdens, listen to me, there are burdens in your life that no one can carry but Jesus. 
Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Matter of fact, the Bible uses this word about the Holy Spirit of God, where if you're saved, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside you. And the Bible calls him, the Greek word is the paraclete. That's the one who comes alongside and helps to carry the load. That, that's right. Listen, I'm not a, I'm not a, I love being able to help people. I love being able to encourage people in the word of God. I love being able to counsel people in the scripture. I love being able to help people get their eyes on Jesus. I love all of that. And I love counselors that help people. Can I tell you this? I can kind of help carry your burden, but Jesus can carry your burden. A counselor can kind of help carry your burden, but Jesus will carry your burden with you. Cast thy burden upon the Lord. She took her burden to the Lord. Mom, you might have a sick child. You might have a child that's wandered away from God. You might be having some difficult, difficult days. My question is simply this. Have you, take your, have you taken your burden to the Lord? The third thing I want you to see in this text is found in verse number 11, where Hannah made this vow unto the Lord. Hannah, Hannah promised the Lord, you give me a man child, I'm giving him back to you. Hannah showed extreme faith. Hannah showed extreme faith. I think one of the things that is marking the church in this decade is, and by church, I mean churches in general everywhere, is in some ways an utter lack of faith. We want to see everything that God is going to do before we commit to God. That's not faith. Hannah made this promise to the Lord. Hannah guaranteed the Lord, Lord, if you will give me a child, I'll give him back to you. No idea what God's going to do. No idea what God's calling him to do. No idea how God is going to use him. But that I will have this child till he is five, six, seven years old. I will give him back to you. And Lord, you could do with him whatever you want. Can you imagine? Imagine. Imagine you have a four, five, six-year-old boy and you're giving him to a big fat dude named Eli to raise and you know, Eli was fat. He was so fat that when he fell over, when he was old, he died. His weight broke his neck. Eli had some discipline issues. He raised two really bad sons that we read about in this text, Hophni and Phinehas. Eli's sons were known for being crummy men. They should have been the next priest, but Eli had done such a poor job raising them. And so Hannah knows this, but she still says, God, I'll give him back to you, and I'm going to entrust him with you. God, you do with him what you will. She had extreme faith. Many of you have met my mom, a lot of you haven't. A little German woman. She's, uh, I think, 73, 74 years old. She gets a little shorter every year. She really does. She's had some back problems. She walks like five to six miles a day. I've tried to, I've tried to lift, get her to lift weights for years, but she's like, I don't want to get bulky. I'm like, Mom, you, you're not in jeopardy of that. That little German woman has lived a life of extreme faith. Not only in what she does, but what she gives of herself personally, her and my dad financially. I've never, ever, and listen, I grew up, we grew up poor. We grew up, like some of the rest of you, where we were wondering if there was any food going to be in the house. I mean, I remember going to bed at night and there's no food in the house. Some of y'all can identify with that. I mean, like, 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 Lord, <laughs> we're praying for Cheerios and we don't have the cherry or the O. 
My mom's like, I think we'll be able to get some beans tomorrow and maybe some oatmeal. I mean, that woman had extreme faith, and she was never complaining. My dad was a church planner, and there were some difficult days we had as a church planner, and I never heard Arlene complain. She just always promised me, God's going to come through, and God's going to do something, and God's going to do something amazing. And when my brother walked away from the Lord for 20 years, I watched that beautiful little German woman pray every day that God would bring her son out of a life of substance abuse, out of a life of addiction, and bring him back to the Lord day in and day out and day in and day out. And there were times when I'm like, mom, why do you keep praying for him? He's a loser. Just let him go. Son, and and this is what she's telling me. You have no idea the power and the grace of God. Don't discount the power of God. Chris, I just believe by faith that God's going to do something in your brother's life. And these were literally my words as a young know-it-all kid. Mom, you're wasting your time. Well, I'd rather waste... (laughs) I, I learned my sarcasm from her. I'd rather waste my time with Jesus than you... (laughs) Well, do you consider me a waste of time? Right now, I do. I tell you what, she didn't run a victory lap and tell you I, and say I told you so, but she spiked the ball a few times in front of me when my brother came back to the Lord. And today, as a 56-year-old man, he's leading the children's ministry at his church. You say, why is he leading the children's ministry? He loves kids, and they're the only people in the world that love him. Extreme faith. Moms, don't give up on your kids. No, 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 hear me. Don't give up on your kids. Don't stop praying for them. Don't stop asking God to do something with them. You say, well, they're living for Christ. Don't stop exhibiting faith to them. Don't stop showing them faith. Don't let their rebellion cause you to rebel. Don't let their struggles cause you to struggle. Keep living by faith and let that faith be extreme. She showed extreme faith. The fourth thing we see is that Hannah Hannah trusted in the word of God. Eli spoke to her. He spoke, I use that phrase, ex cathedra, in the place of God. He was God's mouthpiece to mankind at that time. It was a unique time. We don't have that, obviously, anymore. But in that time, he spoke as Lord, the Lord, and he granted her, her her desire. And he said, peace be unto thee. God grant this unto thee. And, and she just believed the word of God. And after Eli says that to her, notice what she does. Verse number 17 and following. She leaves that that interaction with Eli. She goes back to where the celebration is happening. She eats and she's no more sad. In other words, she wasn't faking all of us have had to fake it at times. Say, hey, how you doing, man? It's a great day. I love it. It's a good day. And really, on the inside, you're all tore up. Your husband's deployed. You can't make the car payment. There's been a fight in the home, and you've had to fake it. She's not faking anything. She's simply trusting in the Word of God. Trust in the Word of God starts at the point of salvation. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you can be saved today. You can have your eternal destiny settled. You can have heaven as your home. If you will realize and admit that you're a sinner, repent of your sin, and trust only Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That's where it starts. Well, I'll trust God, but I don't want to be saved. Come on, that's foolish and dumb. 
If God is who he says he is, trust him as Savior. Give your heart to him. Put your faith and trust in the Lord. Hannah trusted in the word of God. The Bible says in Psalm 20, verse number 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. In other words, we're not trusted in military power. We're going to trust in the Lord our God. Oh, we have military power is what the the passage is saying. We have all of these things that are necessary. But when it comes to what we're, we're really putting our trust in, we're putting our trust in the power and in the grace of God. And then I want you to notice, fifthly, Hannah's heart of worship led her to sincerely, or led her to keep her word, verse number five. Hannah's heart of worship led her to keep her word. God, I will give him back to you. I can't tell you the number of people, the number of ladies that I know that I've met that have prayed desperately and couples who have prayed desperately that God would give them a kid. And then as soon as God gives them a kid, you know what they do? They stop going to church. They stop tithing. They stop serving the Lord. You ask him why, well, Buford has a schedule and he goes to bed and he gets up and he has to feed. You say, Pastor, don't you believe in schedules? I do and I don't. I believe they should have them. I don't believe they should control you. I don't believe that a baby that you've been praying for should keep you from the one who gave you the baby. Why would you ever do that? Well, he, you know, he's got, you know what I found? Babies are really resilient. They'll be fine. We've got ladies in our church that got like three kids under one. <laughs> and they're not twins. <sighs> like three kids under four. And they're at every service. They never miss anything. You say, how do their kids do it? They're well adjusted. One of them was talking trash to me at four years old today before the service. And you say, so what'd you do? I'll talk trash to a four-year-old. It's in my DNA. We had a good time. We we're high-fiving each other and and uh, it's had a good time. Well-adjusted kids. Why? Putting God first. Keeping our word. God, if you'll give me this kid, I promise you I'll raise him for you. I promise I'll keep you first. I, I just don't understand. I just don't understand. I don't understand how God could give you a kid and then you not want to raise that kid for God. He granted that child for you. Why are you not raising for him? Well, I'll let them make up their own mind. Do you do that when it comes to school? Do you do that when it comes to taking a bath? When you have to go on a long road trip with them? Do you do that when it comes to brushing their teeth? Like, hey, you know what, Junior? I know you just had a bunch of taffy. Just sleep it off. No. The Bible says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. That's not a negative. That's just a reality. I love Whitney Houston. I love Whitney Houston. I'm so thankful God doesn't answer prayer. I would have been married to Whitney Houston at 16 years old, and I couldn't have afforded the habit. But I'll tell you this for sure. I, she's singing this song, I believe that children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. We have a daycare. We have 84 kids. Not one of them is nice inside. They are all evil little creatures that, listen, they will step on a baby's head for a toy. You put a soft spot on that baby's, or you put a toy on that baby's soft spot, knock that baby out, pull that toy off. Why? Because they don't have a heart of gold on the inside. They have a heart of foolishness that's concerned about one thing, satisfying their own heart's desire. 
Matter of fact, it's kind of fun, especially when I don't have to be the teacher, which I never am. I just watch him and I mess with him like, hey, you see that over there? Go get that. And the teacher's like, pastor! <laughs> it's awesome. Hannah's heart of worship led her to keep her word. Raise your children for Christ. Well, I know the Bible says it, but no, no. If the Bible says it, do it. Keep your word. Raise your children for the Lord. It's the greatest thing ever. Hannah gives her child back to the Lord, and it is an awesome and wonderful experience. See, here's the big idea of this text. Godly mothers, out of a heart of worship, will sincerely encourage their children to live for God. Godly mothers, leave this up for a second, as an act of worship. God, you give me this boy, I'm going to give him back. And she gave him back, and she gave him back with three bullocks. She wasn't sad. She rejoiced. As an act of worship, will sincerely or genuinely or honestly encourage their kids to live for God. We encourage our kids to do a lot of things. Some families are crazed for sports. I love sports. I played sports my whole life. From the time I was eighth grade to a freshman in college, there was never there was never a season where I wasn't playing some type of some type of sport. I still do. I do. I do. Well, you wouldn't consider what I do as the sport part. I do CrossFit for old men, which is now try not to get injured while lifting weights <laughs> and doing pull-ups, stuff like that. I, I love it. It's, I love it. But can I tell you that that sports are not the answer for your kids' problems? Encourage your kids to live for God. My daughters are great athletes. Watch them lift. It's, it's oh, my favorite, one of my favorite things to do is just to watch Judith and Natalie lift. I love to watch Natalie do Olympic lifting and power lifting. I love to watch Judith on a bar. It's just, it's, it's something that just reminds me of everything I ever dreamed of myself doing. But the greatest joy in Natalie's not life is not setting world records in the clean and jerk or deadlift, the greatest joy in Natalie's life will, is, will be her living for God. Her mother and I have never prayed, oh, dear God, please help Natalie to set the world record in the deadlift. We've prayed a couple prayers. Lord, please don't let her buy a dead, or marry a deadbeat. <laughs> God, help her to live for you. Godly mothers, as an act of worship, will sincerely encourage their kids to live for God. Is that your desire? Well, I want them to live for God. Okay, but are you living for God? Because they're not going to do what you're not doing. Are you living for God? And are you encouraging them to live for God? Are you, are you exemplifying that? Hannah pushed her son out of the nest to a place of, of discomfort so he could do and fulfill the calling God had on his life. Is that your prayer? My prayer for you is that it will be your prayer for your kids. That you will raise young people with a passionate desire to live for God. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.